You are listening to the One Church TO podcast. We are an imperfect community who are attempting to help people know God, love people, and make an impact in our city of Toronto, Canada. At the time of this podcast episode, we are currently experiencing the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. So you'll start to notice in this same feed, we'll be providing some extra episodes alongside our weekend teaching to encourage you throughout the week. But we hope today's teaching is valuable for whatever season or situation that you find yourself in. Story time. There was a man who was attacked, robbed, and beaten so badly that he was left to die. A priest walked by and saw him, but kept walking. Then a religious leader who was well known in the church came along and avoided him completely. Next came a Samaritan. When he saw the beaten man's condition, he felt for him. He got down and revived him. I said, revived him. The Samaritan gave him some water and helped him to his feet. The man was so overjoyed that they celebrated in the street. (laughs) Well, that's one way to tell the story. But if that's all you knew, you would miss the fact that Jesus, when he tells the Good Samaritan story, is telling a story about racism, ethnic privilege, and the value of a human. You know, it all starts when Jesus is asked a question by a religious lawyer. And here's how it goes. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what do you say? Notice how Jesus answers a question with a question. You know, one guy was asked, why do you always answer a question with a question? He said, why shouldn't I? (laughs) Jesus didn't do it without reason. You're going to see the reason. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you think? And the religious lawyer turns to the law of the Bible that he knew that he quoted every day, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, nailed it. But watch this. This is why Jesus asks questions, because he wants to know the real reason why someone is asking that question. All right? So so the lawyer isn't satisfied with what Jesus has said. He wants to know a little bit more because he wants to find out if there are some people out there in the world that he doesn't have to consider his neighbor. He doesn't have to love them. So, so look at this. The man wanted to justify his actions, so we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, he, he wants to get off the hook. He's got these Gentile people, and they're Jewish people, and a lot of them began to feel that they were a bit superior to the Gentiles, especially to the oppressing Romans that they wanted liberation from. And they had uh, ethnic groups in their culture at that time, like Samaritans that they they despised. And and so they, they wanted sort of to be able to quote the Bible verse, but be able to justify not loving these other people, even though, even though God had gifted them by choosing them as a nation of people who would bring the Messiah as the Savior to the Jewish people? No, Jews and Gentiles to the whole world. Remember Jesus went into the temple that day and you know he, people were misusing the temple and he says, this is to be my father's house, a place of prayer for all nations. 
Jesus came to be the savior of the entire world, but he wants to justify himself. He wants Jesus to say that there are certain people in the culture of his day that he doesn't have to love. He does not have to consider as neighbors, all right? Now, we're gonna go on location again <laughs> on that road between Jerusalem and Jericho that is the backdrop for the story that Jesus tells here. All right, but first, what's really going to make this story impactful is to meet some of the people that Jesus includes in the story. Don't forget, this is a story Jesus makes up to make an answer to the question to the religious lawyer. So Jesus gets to choose the characters in his story, and he chooses two temple personnel. He chooses two of them, a priest and a temple assistant known as a Levite. How did you get to be a priest? Did you go to priest college? How did you get to be a Levite? As a little kid when they're growing up in Israel, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a temple assistant. I want to be a Levite. Not going to happen. Because you had to be born into the Levite tribe, born into the priesthood family, in order to be serving in that capacity, in order to have that position in the culture. In other words, you had to come from a certain ethnicity to have this privileged position, all right? Very important. So Jesus chooses them because they have to come from a certain ethnic background in order to serve in the position that they have. Then Jesus talks about the Samaritan. But notice the word Jesus uses. He says, despised Samaritan. <laughs> they were really an inferior race. You say, what's the history behind that? Actually, it's like the history of slavery in the U.S. You have to go back further than 400 years to really understand it. Over 400 years before Jesus' time, the Babylonians had invaded Israel, defeated Israel, and carried off a lot of the people like Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah, carried them off into exile. But not all Jewish people left the nation of Israel. Not all were carried off to Babylon. Some were left behind. And as the years went by, those that were left behind intermarried with the Canaanite people. Canaanite people? Now, if you have ever read the Old Testament, you'll know the Canaanites, Ammonites, Moabites, were about as popular to the Israelites as mosquito bites are to Canadaites. You know what I'm saying? Like these people, they, they didn't welcome us. They didn't help us. We reached out to them. No, no, no. And then they became enemies. And here you are intermarrying with them. And you're involved in a fusion of religions. You're taking some of the Jewish faith and some of the Canaanite faith. And so by the time the... Jewish people came back from Babylon, back to the nation of Israel. They despised these, you know, mixed-race people, this ethnic group, these Samaritans. That's why Jesus himself calls them despised Samaritans. And then the third one is a, a man. <laughs> Some translations say a certain man. Some because of the context, including the one we're using for the Jesus Project, the New Living Translation, call him uh, a Jewish man, which makes what happens by way of the actions of the Samaritan all the more astounding and admirable to, to, to behold. But let's go to the very road, back to that very road we were just on there with the opening uh, skit. <laughs> 
And, and let's get a bit more background of that road and then listen to the story of the Good Samaritan told by Pastor Jonathan. Uh, we're on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. What's significant about that? Well, just before we hear one of the classic stories that Jesus told to really make an amazing point that still applies to us today, let me explain who traveled this road. You see, priests and Levites often lived in Jericho and would commute to Jerusalem, just like some of you may live in Mississauga, uh, Whitby Pickering, but you commute into more central Toronto, even downtown Toronto for work. Well, that's what priests and Levites did. They, they lived in that bedroom community of Jericho and they commuted into Jerusalem for their shift at the temple. And so they were traveling on this road all the time. And then secondly, just before you hear from Pastor Jonathan tell the actual story, you see alongside this road, there were lots of places for thieves to hide. And they would do that. They would hide behind a, a, a cliff like that and then surprise, obviously, travelers on this road and, and steal from them. Now, listen, knowing that context, listen to the actual story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So, do you see that? A man is in the ditch, right along that road in Jesus' story. He's about to breathe his last. And two people that are in a position to help and know the Bible verses about helping, don't even help him. Can you believe that? Like, a priest and a temple assistant take action. They go to the other side of the road. They avoid meeting human need of someone that's going to die if they don't help them. Like, it's unbelievable. Now, here's what makes it even more unbelievable, is that every day in the life of every Orthodox Jew, certainly a Levite and a priest, they would quote the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and listen, love your neighbor as yourself. Here they are quoting that verse about loving their neighbor, and yet they're not practicing loving a neighbor who's in life-death need. You know, it just is amazing. It's, it's like watching the video of George Floyd and then reading a logo on the police car that says to serve and to protect. It's like me as a pastor hearing about residential schools in Canada 
that were run by Christian churches. The very people in a privileged position to help do the opposite. They don't practice what they preach. Now, the next part of Jesus' story is even more shocking, but in a positive way. Look at this. Then a despised Samaritan, notice Jesus says he was a despised ethnic background, came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. Look at his attitude. He felt compassion for him, then his actions. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, used wine as a disinfectant, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Subsequent verses go on to say that he paid the hotel bill at that inn to make sure that this man who was left dying in the ditch was going to get better and be well taken care of. Now, he's the least likely one to help someone in the ditch. Why? Because ever since he's been a child... He has been, in his culture that he grew up in, from a despised ethnic background. He's grown up hearing all the stereotypes and generalizations, generalizations about people from that background. He's heard all the racial slurs. What am I saying? I'm saying, can you imagine what the Samaritan had to overcome to be the good guy in this situation? I mean, if the guy in the, Jew, in the ditch was a Jew... It even is more heroic and impressive that, that a Samaritan who has been despised by a Jewish person would go help a Jewish person. It just, in Jesus' story, he is saying, look at what this man has had to overcome. You know, I've been pastoring in the city of Toronto, one of the most multicultural cities in the world for uh, almost 30 years between this one church, T.O., and and uh, Highway Church in Scarborough, that, where I pastored in. And I, I, it was just like a new world to me to come to Toronto and be pastoring all these people from such uh, diverse backgrounds. I have learned so much in my years of pastoring in this uh, diverse city with so many ethnic groups. Some people call it the most uh, multicultural city in the world. And, and I, I, you know... I, I learned so much just by listening. I'll never forget, not long after uh, coming to pastor one church deal in Toronto, I was here at the Agent Court campus, and, and uh, I was speaking about the power of gratitude, something along that theme. A lady came up to me after the service and said, oh, Pastor Keith, great teaching, thank you. And, and, and then she leaned in as if she was going to tell me a secret. She said, you know, she was emotional. She said, this morning... She said, I even thank the Lord. And she reached down to her hand. She said, I even thank the Lord for my skin. And I thought, well, good, we have skin. It's part of our body. And I, I didn't catch on. And I was visiting other people, but I puzzled over it. And on the way home, it hit me what she meant. She thanked the Lord even for her skin. And I was in tears by the time I got home and told my wife about this because Number one, that she even had to say that or have to think that, that she even had to go there. All her life, growing up in Canada, she's a senior at this time. He, here she had to face this daily uh, layer of uh, sacrifice and identity 
and, and just had to, to go through that wherever, wherever she went. And, and I was also a bit disappointed in myself that I, I had no idea. I did not understand at first. I had no idea that people that I loved so much that that was something they were facing on a daily basis. Since then, of course, I've heard from people that go for a job interview or, or, or just do daily business or try and uh, get entrance into something. I had one friend who was very, did very well in the corporate world, so gifted and talented there, but was left out of the old boys club simply because of his ethnicity. I'll never forget the day, too, where um, a wonderful uh, couple that I, 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 I officiated at their wedding, I dedicated their children, I mean, I just pastored them for years, and they were going uh, out to Western Canada to visit uh, um, the, 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 the wife's uh, parents, the, the new babies that they had, the, the, their grandparents. And when they got back, I said, how did it go? And one of the first things he, he told me, he was almost like excited to tell me, was that how they treated their children. See, the children were mixed race. And how many have ever been, you know, in parts of Canada, it's not multicultural like Toronto, Vancouver, or Montreal. It was sort of plain vanilla out there. But he was just, and I'm thinking, why did he even have to think that, that his children would have to face that extra layer, innocent children. And, and it just sensitizes you by listening and learning from people who have to go through something every day of their lives that for a person like me with the color of my skin is not even an, an issue. I don't have to go through what they have to go through. That's exactly like the Samaritan. Here, he's the guy that's been, you know, heard the, the, the ethnic jokes that has been discriminated against, and he's the guy that gets in the ditch to help. Now, after telling this story of the priest, temple assistant, and Samaritan, Jesus then asked the lawyer this question. He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What does that look like? To go into our Canada, our Canadian culture, whatever, wherever country you're in, whatever your city or community looks like demographically, to go into that community and be the Samaritan. Jesus is saying the Samaritan is the hero of his story. The Samaritan is the one that does what he wants us to do. All right, three things for us to pray about before we, we, we close the teaching time today. And that is Jesus is saying, be that person whose attitude and actions towards others are not determined by the way they treat you. <laughs> not determined. Don't let your attitudes or actions be determined by the way that someone treats you. How many know if someone hates you and you hate back, you have twice as much hatred? If someone, like the Samaritan, someone despises you because of your ethnicity and you despise them back, you have double the despising. You know, fight fire with fire? No, no. You'll just have more of a destructive fire. You don't fight fire with fire, you fight fire with water. You give something different. Scripture says overcome evil with good. 
Otherwise, you're going to have just twice as much or more, exponentially more of a problem than what you started with. Don't increase the problem. Let your attitudes and actions not be determined by how people treat you. Did you know that in the chapter before the Good Samaritan story, Jesus was a victim of racial discrimination? Yeah, let's look at it. Luke 9, Jesus sent messages ahead to a... Yeah, a Samaritan village. Well, how is he going to be received there? To prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. So how is Jesus going to respond? Here's how the disciples wanted to respond. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn, burn up these Samaritans? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Who? He, not the Samaritans, he rebuked his disciples for having that attitude, for thinking of that kind of action. And they went on to another village. All right, Jesus has just been a victim of racial discrimination. In the very next chapter, guess who the hero of his story is? A Samaritan. Jesus refuses to let an incident by someone from a certain culture cause him to stereotype and generalize other people from that same culture. I don't know how many stories you hear of, you know, this person treated me that way, and so therefore they're all that way. No, no. Jesus refuses to let somebody else's racism infect him and the way that he's going to treat other people from that culture. And so the hero in the story knows what it's like to be hated by the Jews, but you can see he didn't let their attitude and actions towards him determine how he was going to turn out. His, his, he didn't let them dictate the kind of person he was going to be. No wonder he's the hero in Jesus' story. I, I guess what we're saying here before we leave this first truth is, listen, dear one, don't let anyone's treatment or mistreatment of you determine your value and how important you are in the eyes of God. Don't let anyone's mistreatment of you determine how you think of yourself. Refuse to accept their mistreatment, all right? Secondly, be that person whose attitude and actions towards others are not determined by their ethnicity. They're not determined by their ethnicity. You know, what ethnicity was the man in the ditch? Some translations, because of the context, say he was Jewish, but others just say a certain man because the Greek text that it's translated from doesn't come out explicitly say Jewish. But the, the, Jesus' whole point is, though, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Value every human being, whatever ethnic background they are from. Christianity Today did an article on George Floyd uh, and, and told the story of his decades of work helping youth in Houston's third ward. Uh, and Ward would tell the young men there, God trumps street culture. He told them about Jesus. But then you know how you get an article in a magazine and you have the comments underneath. I was looking at some of the comments and one Christian commented, but do you have to build a narrative about someone to love them and give them justice? He deserved to be treated as someone created in God's image. That's exactly what Jesus is saying about the guy in the ditch. We don't know who his mother, uh, brother, sister, whether he was married, kids. We, we don't know how good of a person. We don't know anything about him. But he was valuable. He needed to be able to breathe, to have life, and to have a future. Maybe 
You don't have a platform like Pastor Jonathan, our lead pastor, does. But he used it well when he made a statement. It's still available on our website, other avenues of social media, where he made a statement of where we stood, just helping understand how we should think about these kinds of things that are happening with the mistreatment of people from other cultures in North America these days. Some of you have another vocation, like a, you know, you're, you're a teacher, you're a policeman, you're a social worker, you have, you have a place where you can make a difference. But every one of us can apply this to our daily lives and say, Lord, every person I meet, I'm going to value them as someone made in your image, and I'm going to bring the best out of them. Whatever ditch they're in, whatever their background, I'm going to help them become the very best that they can be. Every one of us can do that. So be that person whose attitudes and actions towards others, first of all, are not determined by the way they treat you, are not determined by their ethnicity, but are determined. Be that person whose attitude and actions towards others are determined by Jesus' attitude and actions towards you. That's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian does. Do you know who else was in the ditch and needed to be rescued? Me. I was going to uh, a lost eternity because I have done wrong in my life that the wages of sin is death. And I have a Savior who left heaven to come into the ditch of my sin. And he rescued me and he healed me and got me going into a future where someday I'm going to be in heaven where perfect justice is done forever. I've been in that ditch. And that's your story too. If you have decided to say yes to Christ's forgiveness and love and eternal life and become a follower of Jesus. And Jesus, it cost him a whole lot more than, you know, a hotel bill and some oil and disinfectant. It costs Jesus his life on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That's how valuable every human being is to Jesus. I get so embarrassed by people using the Bible as a prop and, and, and quoting Bible verses a bit like the priest and Levite and then doing the very opposite of what those Bible verses say. You know, some people, their, their allegiance and loyalty to a political party or to a leader can, can uh, well, I was going to say can Trump, no, can... can <laughs> can take priority over their allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ and being a follower of him. Let me tell you straight, there is no one who is worthy of that level of allegiance and loyalty, no political party or ideology. There is only one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus. And you can trust him with your entire life and to only have your best interests in mind when he makes decisions for you. You see, a follower of Jesus, he said, the way that I want them to be identified more than any other is the love that they will have for others. Love as I have loved you. That means the way you will know Christians who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength is they get in the ditches with 
wherever they find a neighbor in need and they get that person help wherever they need help into a place where they can be back walking on the road of life, fulfilling the potential that God has for them in their lives. What a thrilling way to spend our lives as Christians, helping others come to know this wonderful Jesus who transforms our lives and gives us not only a better future here, but a future with him where perfect justice is done for all of eternity. Uh, there, there is a power that's stronger than racism and prejudice and discrimination. How many know it's the power of his love? God doesn't want to take sides. He wants to take over. I, I, I love the way one New York pastor said it. He said, the church is not to be found at the center of a left-right political world. The church is to be a species of its own kind confounding both left and right and finding its identity from the center of God's love. Do you know, I, I learned this more than anyone else next to Jesus from a policeman who is in my life. Well, one day as a teenager in Halifax, I needed a ride home. And so I went down to my dad's workplace in downtown Halifax, got a ride home with him on the way home. That usual routine drive turned into an incident where a gang of kids, I didn't see it at first, I just suddenly heard this big sound where a body hit the hood of the car, whether he was thrown up over the car in a fight or whether he threw himself because he was drunk or uh, on drugs or something, he just was not. Uh, anyway, it, it, just, it just happened so suddenly. And you could hear the laughing and the, the commotion and people looking to see how the guy was. That's when I became fully aware of what was going on. And then uh, my dad got out of the car. He wasn't driving a police car, but my dad was a policeman. He was wearing a police uniform. And, and, he, and he went over the guy. And of course, you could just hear, whoa, what's this cop going to do? And, uh, and there's some snickering as well. And... Uh, and I just watched my dad. He went over to the man who was either thrown or throw, threw himself over the hood of the car and he, he helped them up and he said, he said is, is there anything broken? Are you all right? Are you all right? You know, just can you move this? And I couldn't hear all he said, but I knew he was checking on making sure that he was all right. And then he turned and I heard this in that fatherly voice that I had come to know so well. He turned to the, the gang of guys that surrounded the vehicle and he said, Guys, he said, if you're any kind of friend to this guy, and he said it again, if you're any kind of friend to him, in his condition, hang on to him, protect him, and keep him safe. And they, they were sobered up. They, they were held accountable for what they were doing, but they were respected. They saw this policeman respect that person who had done this and respect them. He just... It just raised the value of every human in that circle. And I learned from my dad to just sort of understand how you can respect every human being because they're made in the image of God and just elevate them to what God wants them to be. I have a, I have a, a piece of concrete that's actually a piece of the Berlin Wall it's been on my study desk every place I've lived for over 30 years because it was given to me right after the Berlin Wall in, uh, in Germany, 
in Berlin, Germany, uh, was taken down. A, a deacon friend who was on business in Germany brought me back a piece of the Berlin Wall. Why do I keep it on my desk? Because it reminds me daily of this story. A story, a true story that took place when before the Berlin Wall was built, there was already a barrier after World War II between you know, socialist countries like Russia and East Germany, and then there's West Germany and the democracy. And, and so there's this, um, this tension, this barrier, and this despising of one another that would take place there. And one night under the cover of darkness, some uh, residents in East Germany took their garbage, a whole truckload of garbage they had. I don't know if it was spontaneous or premeditated, but they took it over. There was no Berlin Wall there then at that time, but they took it over into West Germany and just dumped it in the middle of the road. <laughs> so how are you going to respond to that? You know, you insult me, I'm going to insult you. How, how are they going to respond to that? You know what they did? The residents, some residents in West Germany loaded up a truck and under the cover of darkness, drove it over to the East Berlin side and unloaded it into a neat pile. It was a neat pile of groceries, all kinds of good things, groceries. And up over the top of it, they left a big sign that says, each gives what they have. Each gives what they have. So I keep that there because there's times where I've been hurt or <laughs> been through injustice and I go to get back or generalize or stereotype. And I, I just say, hold on here. No, Jesus, you've been good to me. The grace and the goodness that you give to me with my faults and failures, help me to love others as you have loved me, Lord, to sacrifice in order to bring out the best in those people. Help me to live a life that does that. You see, that's what the robbers did. They, what, what did they give? They took. That's because that's what they did for themselves, selflessness. That's what, uh, that's what the priest and Levite did. You found out what they were really made out of when you come across human need. And they gave what they had, selfishness. Then the Samaritan comes by and Jesus says, be like that guy. He's the hero of my story. He gives even though he, he hasn't been treated by these people the way that he should be, he doesn't let that influence how he's going to respond. Each gives what they have. You know, so what am I saying? I'm saying refuse to let the mistreatment of others dictate how you are going to treat them. I'm saying, secondly, refuse to let the mistreatment of other people, whether it's ethnicity or because of your background in any way, refuse to let their mistreatment of you because of your background dictate how you value yourself. You value yourself according to the way that God values you. He values you so much. He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your past and live for him forever in your future. So I guess what we're saying is that Jesus is calling us all to systemic loveism. <laughs> systemic loveism. May we as your followers, Jesus, be characterized by a love that transforms lives as you have transformed ours. May we live the rest of our lives on this planet giving the love and the respect and the value for others that you have given to us so generously and sacrificially. May we be known for our systemic loveism, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're glad you joined us for today's teaching. If you're listening in right now because your church isn't able to meet, we welcome you and we ask that you keep supporting your church community with all the engagement and giving options that they have. If you need any assistance in this unprecedented season, please let us know by email at care at onechurch.to or by texting the word CARE to 416-291-9575 or even just giving us a call at the same number. All other events and programming can be found at onechurch.to connect.